fuck it. We're going to put Civ on Facebook, and we're going to have maps, and we're going to let you civilize with each other, and cultureify with each other, <laughs> and wonderfy each other on Facebook with graphics in Flash. <laughs> Hello and welcome to... Uh, wow, I just did a Jeff Green there. Welcome to episode 151 of the TryGames.net podcast. Uh, it is Saturday, October 24th. Uh, it is 12.07pm and there is no sunlight outside because it's disgusting weather in New York. I don't know about in Boston, but it sucks in New York. It's probably worse. I don't know, I'm in my room. Oh, word? Do you have the shades up? Is it like totally dark? You mean the shades down? Shades, <laughs> shades up. Because they come up from the ground, in where where I where I live. No, that's that's a lie. Really, that's a complete lie. <laughs> Shut up. You live in Australia. Your face lives in Australia. <laughs> I'm your host, uh, Mr. Chupon slash Austin. Uh, that's what's on my birth certificate. The last one, not the first one. And I'm here with the two lovely ladies who usually co-host podcasts with me. This is Al. Hello there. Also known by his hair name as. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're. Antipode. Hello there, Antipode. Okay, there you go. And Raven. Or Pete. And Austin, what's it say on your social security card? Uh, Your face. I don't know. I haven't looked. You gave me your birth certificate information. I just want the other half. Um, It says 777-F-U-K-Y-O-U-U. Or Y-O-U-F-U. Oh, that's the same thing it says on mine. K-K. One. Two, three, four, five. That's the combination to my luggage. There you go. Have a nice day. That's the stupidest combination I've ever heard in my life. Podcast over. No. Um, we're going to change it up very slightly, very little bit. Uh, we're probably going to ramble on about one or two topics. Ramble on. And then uh, hit <laughs> a mailbag for like five minutes with a bat. And Just don't hit mail- my mailbag. Mm, I'll take that into consideration. Um but we're going to start off, as usual, with what you've been playing. Al, what haven't you Oh, been? this would be quick. Oh. Citizen Kane. All I played was Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. Oh. X, 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 um, X, X, Magic X, X. Because I've been uh, trying to get my guitar up, which, uh, I don't know. I don't like how long it takes to become a pro at playing guitar. Hero. No. Guitar. Hero. No, guitar. Aww. So anyway... Uh, as a side note, since you mentioned guitar and I was talking about actual real guitar, I went to uh, Guitar World a couple of weekends ago, uh-huh. and so they actually had tab books for songs that are in Rock Band and Guitar Hero 1, 2, and 3. Whoa, interesting. Which is pretty good marketing. Right. Uh, so, like, if you were one of those cats who was like, oh, I love playing Guitar Hero 3, and I love these songs. You can actually go in the store and buy a book that has the real guitar tab for, I think, all of them, but maybe most of them, because it's a really thick Do book. they color them in green, red, yellow, blue, and orange? No, they don't, but I think that it would be funny if they <laughs> did, yet very, very counterproductive. It's funny. It would be funny also if they had the note chart. Yeah, like on the and, side. And as well as the tab, yeah, like, no, under Oh, yeah, it. yeah. So it would have, like, the musical notes... The, the the regular staff, and then it would have the tab chart under it, and then it would have the the note chart under that. Um, I think that would be hilarious. In Crisis Core, I am at the Nibelheim incident, 
which ah. is in uh, Final Fantasy VII. Throwback. So I feel like I'm getting close to the end of the game. Uh, I am finishing it up, so I don't know how far from the end I am. And, uh, you know, that's really all I have to say. Uh, uh, that's, I played some that's Madden all I have this to week. Say about that. I think I talked about that on pod- Trilobite. Ah, yes. Uh, oh, for, for, for any listeners, such as myself, who have not behaved and listened to your trilobite, can you sum up in 30 seconds what you talked about? Because this is huge. I talked about the comparison between Kane and Lynch. No, this and Kane. <laughs> and Metroid Prime, uh, initially the first one, but it's usually about the trilogy. And how they're supposed to be the best XXX of all time. And all I kind of said that they have things that are similar, but I don't think that Metroid Prime can be considered by proxy the best game of all time because of the fact that Citizen Kane did for movies uh, things that movies today do, where movies of its time had not done things like that. And Metroid Prime doesn't really do things that haven't been done or that weren't done by games of its time that games are now kind of following through now. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 So download it and listen to it, please. Please. It was. It, it's. it's I mean, nine, now. Seven minutes. No, it's. I twenty-eight minutes. I think it was a good way to like, kind of like, bring closure to that discussion, like in a way, because I thought we were just gonna revisit it later, but you kind of like rocked it out. So. Oh uh, yeah, I I really like took three days to watch the movie. I mean, granted, I took three days because I was falling asleep some of it, and then I had to keep rewinding it. And so I decided, okay, I'll wait for the next day. And then I wait for the next day. I kind of threw it back a couple of minutes, and then I watched it more. So I really kind of got a good understanding of what the movie is about and, like, a lot of the techniques well, because of I work in a studio that produces, not produces that broadcasts classic films. So I had a lot of uh, source material. Right. Stupid Shirley Temple <laughs> Oh, <movies>. God. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the- oh. Now, well, not now you now you've seen the, the supposed best movie of all time, and you have an, a a banana rider in Pete. He loves your work, and he's going to stalk you incessantly until you you know get a restraining order on him. So Pete, just you just just be aware that Al doesn't play games, but feel free to send him pictures of yourself. You don't play games in the south. Send him pictures of yourself and, and love letters here. and 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 showers of adulation. Knock shit out. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was continuing the song. I was like, yeah, you know, yeah, we don't yeah. play games this Um I would yeah. normally go with asking what Pete's been playing, but he will go last because there's a magical segue coming up. Anyway, um, segue! And also this gives you the opportunity to not go, hey, before we go on to the next segment, I forgot one more thing that I've been playing. And then coming after me. I bet you'll do you, it in the middle oh, of the yeah. game. <laughs> or, or his own, or his own what you've been playing. <laughs> Um, if that's even possible. Wait, that's... Okay, whatever. Anyway, what have I been playing? I spent the, um... First couple... Of, I haven't been playing any, anything much in the second half of the week, but spent the first half of the week finishing up, uh... This game that GameSpot sent me to review called Undead Knights, uh, for the PSP. I liken it to a Dynasty Warriors clone with zombies. Uh, I spoke at length about this on my Trilobite, but to sum it up, it's just a... F- it, it just has a whole shitload of kill boxes with like dozens of enemies that you just slice up and uh you can turn those enemies into zombies that you can control. And that sounds a lot cooler than it actually is because like I mean 
what ends up happening is you just like turn like about 10, 15, 20 zombies, and then they just kind of fight the other dudes on the stage while you kill the uh, the big enemy on the stage uh, in the room, or you take down an obstacle or whatever. Like, um, you can do things with them, like uh, uh, break down barricades. In fact, like a lot of the room, a lot of the uh, areas, you actually have to use them to like break down walls or whatnot. And all it is is you you hold down the R button and point in the direction of the wall, and they'll go. I, I guess it's kind of like Overlord. Have I, one of you two has played Overlord at least, right? I have. So I've played okay. a demo. <laughs> oh, so like when you control your little minions, it's just you kind of point in the direction they go and do shit. Yeah, it's kind of like Pikmin. You have like a I think a cursor or uh, I haven't played in a long time, but you either have a cursor or like you move the mouse. Which is your cursor, and you highlight uh-huh. enemies, and then you like press up, and then they do a certain thing, like right. How it works. <laughs> like Pikmin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's similar that way. You just kind of point and hold R, and like there's. Uh, I think the thing about Pikmin was that you know that there's strategy to it. The levels were, were were planned out as as a strategy level, so it was less about what you did. Uh, mechanically and more about like what you had to think through in the level. In this, like it's literally just they put a barricade at the end of the room, and a whole bunch of enemies are coming at you. So you slice up the enemies and turn them into zombies, and then point them at the barricade. Okay. Next kill room. There are four archery towers. Kill a bunch of enemies, turn them into zombies, set up the archery towers. Next room. Uh, there's like a, a a siege machine that needs taking down. So you kill a bunch of enemies, turn them into zombies. Send him at the siege machine. Sounds great. That's it. Like, I mean that that's all. They're kind. That's kind of all there is to it. Um, I there's um, there's one funny thing where like they're like make a bridge with your undead and you basically point them at a gap, and they'll like, they'll basically mm-hmm. like like five of them will line up and stand up on each other's shoulders, like forming a tower of zombie, and then fall over and make a bridge. And then you just walk across their backs, Kunta Kinte style. <laughs> Kunta Kinte style. I don't know why. I, <laughs> I don't know That's why. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know why Kunta Kinte. Style. I don't think Kunta Kinte stood at anybody's backs, but uh, I know. That's but awesome. There's, there's something like it, 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 some movie or something mentioned Kunta Kinte, and then somebody walking on someone else's back. Maybe he got walked on. I forget. I don't even remember. I'm gonna Wikipedia it. <laughs> But um, I mean that's funny. Like if you um, if you look up uh, the review that I put up, I, I I specifically chose a screenshot of one of your three characters walking across a zombie's back because I just find that concept just so funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. So I I I don't see anything about Kunta Kinte and back walking, but I mean he was in Roots. What's so, that have to do uh, with backs? You you, fi- you figure that like. Maybe no, you got nothing. I don't know. I, I I thought. I think you should stop trying to make this analogy before you offend somebody. I doubt he's I, gonna I, offend anybody. <laughs> well, it's a it's about slavery, right? So sort of, yeah. Technically speaking, you know, owners slave owners walked across the backs of these people. Yeah, with whips. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um. Oh shit. Oh, you know what it was? I think it was coming to America. Because you know how how he walks on the rose petals, uh huh, and 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 I think um one of the guys in the barbershop calls either the king or Akim Kunta Kinte. 
Yeah, he does. Somewhere. Okay. I forget. Flowers are bodies and zombies as well. Sounds Coming great. to America with zombies. Um, <laughs> that just sounds like an awesome movie title right there. <laughs> Roots with zombies. <laughs> No, see, coming to America with zombies is like, it's a full <laughs> sentence. That's what makes it so okay. funny. Well, it's not really a full sentence yet. I am coming to America with zombies. You are coming to America. Okay. Uh, so that game is, yeah, 5.5. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, there, there's some unintentional comedy there. Like, the, uh, and now I, I think I was telling you this um, on, on GChat. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, all the, it, it takes place in a, a medieval era, right? And so most of your enemies, they're, they're voiced like very dramatically. Like, the the lines are very kind of like, mm-hmm. not contemporary. They're they're not old English, but they're very like kind of melodramatic in the way that they're written, um, and and the way that the, that everyone's tone is carried out when they talk to you. It's very, you know, kind of regal or whatever. And your characters are voiced like rejects from like some punk band like some some like green day wannabe punk band or some terrible thrash metal band like uh the um there's this one scene that that i uh, pete that i actually um told al about where your knight or, or your warrior actually confronts one of the uh one of the highest ranking knights in the kingdom and he's just like he's like he tells you he's like uh you know i'm responsible for the treachery that befell your that, that befell you and your kin um if you if you slay me now, will this cease your, your your needless quest for revenge and the needless death of all the innocents in our kingdom? And your guy goes, uh, no, I'm gonna fuck you up. Then I'm gonna fuck Queen Fatima up. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, what the? That's weird. That's a ma- major disconnect. Yeah, and and I'm not exaggerating. He said, uh, no, I'm going to fuck you up. Like that is the line. Uh, and that I, is how I have he sounded. Question. You have you will have an answer. My question is. Is this game about, like, people from present time kind of, like, time warping into the past? Or are these people supposed to be in the past? Like, You know what? Yes, they did time warp into that. No. It, it, it's completely, like, just stupid. Like, they're supposed to be from that era. Really? Damn. That's yeah, just they, poor. They, they just, oh, so the storyline goes that um, the ki- there's this king, and, you know, he, he fell for this titty monster. She, you know, she, young queen, got big titties. King likes her. Hey, can't fall <laughs> him back. <laughs> Touching on them titty balls. But um, he uh, falls for her, and she is suspected of witchery and like treachery and all this nasty shit by three of the ki- well, two of the king's most loyal knights. Um, and so the the two knights who are brothers, and the younger brother's fiance, who happens to be the queen's daughter, is uh, they're they're all heading somewhere. I, I can't remember where it is. It's not important. But at the behest of the king, or maybe the queen, because, you know, they're the ones who suspect that there's some shit going down that smells funky, uh, they get whacked, mafia-style. Like, taken down, killed, and, 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 and destroyed by, like, a, a, an army of soldiers. And um, so, kind of, like, kind of in, in a kind of Soul Reaver-esque turn of events, some undead being, or some thing called the Beast, like, like, Oh, if you will serve me as my children, then I can revive you, and you can, you know, have your revenge. Uh, you will be undead, and you, you, you know, you will have a second chance to, you know, put some shit on fools because you got shitted on by Queen Titty. And so, 
you have the ability now to turn people to undead, use that in your travels or whatever. And so that, that, that's basically the setup. So they're from that era. They've just basically been turned into zombies with brains. So there's no, like, uh, there's no kind of, like, oh, hey, I, you know, came from the future or some shit. And I'm inviting Al back to the conference. Oh, I didn't even know he dropped. Yeah, he dropped. <laughs> Ringy dingy. Ringy dingy. Oh, he fucked up. Uh, well, while we're waiting for Al to get back, why don't you talk about what you've been playing? All right. Um, okay, well, uh, okay, so, yeah. I, I did do, do you need some prep time? Do you need to shuffle your papers? No, I'm, I'm good. I just didn't know, like, is this Al going to come back and be like, all like, what were we just talking about? <laughs> yeah, he probably will. Al. Al. Let's take a short break. You've listened to that way too many times. Yeah. <laughs> I've probably listened to it just as many times, and I couldn't even remember it all. I have a good musical memory, so Zumi. He, he's having net troubles again. Um, um, now that Al is back after our 30-minute uh, break, 30-second break, 30-day break, uh, Pete, what have you been playing? All right. Um, so I've been playing... Uh, well, last week I said that I would get m- into more... Uh, detail about how I felt about the Half-Life series um, as soon as I finished Half-Life ep- 2, Episode 2, which I did complete. Um, actually, it wasn't last week. It was two weeks ago we recorded. Uh, so that gave me plenty of time to finish that game. Um, so uh, my feeling on the Half-Life series is that it is... I mean, it's it's still, like, without a doubt, in my opinion, the greatest shooter of all time, like, as a series. Uh, the... Um, I just want to like kind of specifically talk about the Half-Life 2 arc though. Uh and in so much that they were going to originally Valve Valve you know originally want to do episode 1, 2 and whatever like as episodes and then you yeah. know, obviously that fell apart. And I've I don't know if they've said it themselves or if I heard other people say it where like maybe they should have just done it all as one game and that I think that's originally what it was I think I heard it said that they originally were planning to do it as one full game, and then very shortly after that, they decided, no, it's going to be, like, long, and it's easier for us to break this up into chunks because it divides better. And having played through Episode 2 now, I don't want to spoil anything, but the way it ends, they definitely did them... Even though it's taking a long time between episodes, and the episodes are shorter than a full-length game, they would have done themselves a great disservice to have tried to make this one complete game. Um... Because uh, they would have had to change the entire way the story arc is told mm, over these episodes. Point. Yeah. What? That, no, I said that's a great point. You know, I, I didn't even think about that. I just took the episode and I was like, okay, waiting for the next one. Yeah. But that's like, a great point. Because, like, the way the episodes end, even in the way the first one ends, you can't, like, really just segue that into the next chapter, like, in in a single game. Right. It, it needs the space of however long it takes them to develop the next game for all that to settle in, sink in, you know, for you to digest it and then get re-excited for the next one. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I'm glad that it is episodic. It, I'm annoyed that I have to wait now, but uh, as far as the games themselves go, I liked 
that in ha- in the original Half-Life 2 uh that you pretty much played through the entire game alone that like it in a way it felt like I I don't know if I've heard this before so I don't want to like I don't want to be uh, okay I was going to say it felt like an odyssey you know like an epic journey um even though you're not really trying to go home you're trying to go somewhere else but um it it felt like this huge epic journey and I'm glad that they had you take it alone um but then I'm also glad that in episode 1 they gave you Alex as a like pretty much a mainstay stand by you partner throughout the entire throughout the entire episode except for a few few parts mm-hmm. uh like I mentioned when I was talking about episode 1 in a previous episode she is amazing moment. as an AI partner because yep. of the character she brings to to the game and they did a, a a great job with like having all this character come out of her and this like this in-game acting like as opposed to getting to a certain like segment where it's like okay we're going to you know you're still in Gordon but you're frozen and you're watching the acting going on mm-hmm. like she's acting throughout pretty much the entire game and that is really awesome and then now episode 2 they kind of <laughs> I kind of didn't like the way they did the AI partners with that because they switch up your AI. You don't have Alex the entire time. You're kind of switching between different people. And there's a part, again, where you're alone. Um, after playing episode one, I really wish they would have just kept Alex with you again for the whole time. Uh, it, The game itself in episode two is better. Like, the actual, like, the actual chunked up parts of where you're going, like, going from one place to another to another, it felt better and more interesting. Again, I mentioned last time about, like, Chapter 1 took place in this one one area where you were kind of alone, and it was uh, it was very tense for me. Like, when I got through the area, I had to stop playing. Um, right, I remember you mentioning that, yeah. And when I mentioned that, I said that I kind of didn't like that because I liked the fact that I was able to get through Episode 1 all, in all one sitting. But the thing about Episode 1 is that it, just, it does feel like kind of like one massive area that you're just kind of going through like you don't really it doesn't feel broken up where in episode two it does uh and i actually like that better um so really my final impressions are because it kind of made me playing through these episodes and how kind of different they are from each other but they have like a you know the continuity of all being in the same universe and the same mechanics and all that stuff but it seems like valve was really playing around with a lot of different ways of presenting the story and like funneling funneling you through a world so it really made me think about, like, well, what kind of games do I like? Because, again, we've discussed previously about, like, do we like games that kind of just are continual, like, uh, or do we like games that, you know, stop at Break certain things point. into stages. And, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So, I I mean, definitely playing through these, especially through the, like, quick succession of going from Episode 1 to Episode 2, and having played episode, or the original Half-Life 2 back, short enough a while ago that I can recall it very well. Right. I definitely like the split-up segments. I, I mean, I can definitely tell that that's the kind of gamer that I am. I do like that Half-Life tries to present you this whole story in one, like with keeping you inside the character the whole time. But, um, I mean, even in, in Episode 2, it's not like they stop the game and say, okay, here's the next section. But when you get to those, like, you know, little title pl- place card things that pop up on the, you know, fade in on the screen and fade away, like chapter two, whatever. Uh, you definitely feel like, okay, I am in a new area now. This would be a good place to just take a break. So I do like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of just what I wanted to talk about was just like how I feel about that. Um, do you, did you guys play 
Uh, I forgot. Did you guys play I've, all? Yeah, I've, I finished it all. Um, I finished. Yeah. Uh, I'm still in Half-Life One. Okay. Oh shit. Uh, Austin, how do you feel about it as a series? Like compared to what I said, do you do you agree with me? And how do you feel about like the way they presented Episode Two as to the other ones? Um, I I actually like that they um that you don't have Alex with you the whole time. I like that they switch it up simply on the premise that um it makes it it simply makes it a different experience. I mean, you're talking about um you're you're talking about Half-Life. Two as as something where you're going through it alone, and then Half Life episode, uh, Half Life Two episode one, where you constantly have Alex with you almost the entire time, and then two just wants to switch it up a little bit. I'm not necessarily saying that it's better or worse, but just for the sake of keeping things, you know, a little bit different, I I I appreciate that they did that, um, and especially for you know the reasons why she's not with you all the time. I mean that that's yeah. For anybody who knows what we're talking about, like that made. Made for a huge, you know. It was definitely impactful. Deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. You know, um, I think uh, I, I, I'm definitely with you on that whole story arc thing, and, and how you can't really have the same impact if you decide to lump it up into one big game. Um, one small contention that I um, that I've had with uh, the Half Life series, well, not the series, the Half Life Two series, I should say, are the um, I don't want to say all the vehicle missions because some of them were cool, like the boat in Half-Life 2. Um, but anything in which you're driving in, in, in that car <clears throat> or, or are trying to drive a car during something really hectic. Yeah, um, the buggy. Yeah, and if, if you know, for anyone who knows, who, who has played Half-Life 2 Episode 2, um, a certain last battle, right, that mechanically it just gets kind of frustrating a little bit. Yeah, I've heard like people talk about ways that they've a- approached that specific scenario to try to make it easier rather than rather than do it the way the game would like you to do it. You kind of have to work around like work out your own solution that just makes it more right fr- u- like, user friendly. Right. Um, the, I did it the yeah. no go, go, keep going. Sorry, I was gonna go say on. I did it the way the game wanted me to do it, and I did find it very frustrating. Um, in so much that like I I. <laughs> Like it, it was almost to the point where I wanted to kind of stop playing. Um, not like not just not just say I don't ever want to finish it, but just like, like I very rarely stop a game in the middle of a section. Um, but like it would gotten to the point where like I was, it was one of those things where you know you quick save and you reload like fifty times or something. Maybe not fifty, but you know it was a, it was an exuberant amount of times to the point where I was just like, fuck it, I'm just gonna stop playing and I'll come back to this later. But I knew I was almost to the end of the game at that point, and I just wanted to finish it and stuff, so I, I trudged through it. But that was the only time I can ever really remember, in half, especially in the Half-Life games, where it made me want to quit in the middle right. of a chapter. Of a, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will also, I, I mean, the thing with me, personally, is not, like, the, the encounter itself, the, you know, the design around it is, is really cool. It's just because they make you do it in the stupid car. And 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 I don't think this is unique to Half Life either. I I feel like in very many games, uh, vehicle segments are just frustrating. I agree. Like I, I in Crisis, <clears throat> in Crisis there are several areas. And actually, I was playing a little bit of that too. I just pulled a Pete. Uh, in Crisis, <laughs> there are there are areas where you know they're like get into that car and do this. And because it's Crisis, you don't have to. You could just speed run through the whole thing and and and, and do it on foot. And and half the time I'm just like fuck it I don't want to drive this thing I keep on driving to a goddamn tree like this thing is goofy I'm just gonna go on foot 
and sneak around and take like ten times as long as I would have normally been. I don't care because I hate driving this thing, you know. Um, so it's just always been frustrating. So I, I'm not going to pin that on Half-Life itself, you know. That's that it's something that's pervasive throughout all shooters for me, and it's just a personal thing. Otherwise, though, I, I mean, I I'm not. I don't know if I'll go out there and say that it's the great for me. It's the greatest shooter franchise of all time because I haven't. I simply haven't sat down to think about it. But if you asked me to make a snap judgment, um, like in three seconds, um, that would probably be the first thing out of my mouth. And I could definitely see arguments for why it is the greatest, even if it doesn't end up being for me. I could definitely. I, I have no problem with anybody saying that. Um, the the reason I think it's. I just want to go real quick into why I think it is. Uh, the it it in its simplest terms it's the only shooter i've ever played where i've actually stopped and thought about what i'm doing and like why i'm in this universe and how i feel about the characters cuz any other first person shooter like whatever story is being presented to me i it's usually so like trite and cliche that yeah. i'm just running through and shooting anything in my path yep and and uh, and also just like the technique i i think um if anybody's familiar with how Sean Elliott, you know, kind of dissects this series versus other shooters and, and other console games, it's 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 kind of fascinating how Half-Life chooses to do what it does and what it did back in the day. And I feel like very few games have emulated that since. You know, I mean, you, you talk about something like Metroid Prime, which is different. It's not exactly a shooter per se. So I mean, I don't know if we want to include that in the argument. I mean, that does its own thing very well. Um, well, it did until Prime 3. At Prime 3, I actually thought it was kind of stupid, the, the, the other characters, but that, that's neither here nor there. But most of the shooters, like even Halo, right, which, which a lot of people praise for its story, um, and, and <clears throat> in terms of how much effort they put into the backstory, yes. In terms of the actual story itself, as it unfolds while you play the game, eh. You know, it's, it's another shooter. Right. And, and Half-Life dares to be like, you know, uh, even with something as little as, you know, making you not move, you're still you're never taken out of his shoes. Some people like that, some people don't. But I don't think anybody can deny that it's something special that and, and different that that it dared to do. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I have no art, no problems with anybody saying it's the greatest. The only reason why I'm not saying that just yet is simply because I haven't sat down and thought about it really hard. Right. Um, Al disagrees with us though. That's why he hasn't played Half Life Two at all. He's like, it sucks. <laughs> no. It's more on the lines of half like making six. So I have to take it in small doses. Oh yeah, that's right. Is hey, that, about, I think it's something about the viewing angle, maybe. I I don't know what fast. it was, but that happened to me with with the original Half Life Two. Like I I was getting motion sickness every time I tried to sit down and play it, and then like the the very the last time when I actually did get through it, um, I think it was like pretty much up through the up until the start of the boat part, I was feeling sick. Once I got like started getting through the boat area stuff. Uh, then, um, then for some reason just went away and I was able to play through the rest of the game without it. I don't, I don't know if it was just a psychological thing, like, once it happened once and I kept psyching myself up to be like, well, this game is going to make me sick, so every time I tried to play it, it would make me sick. But I, I don't think it has anything to do with the actual technical aspects of the game, because unless there's something weird going on in, in the first half of the game, like, I mean, maybe, maybe you're just more prone to motion sickness or it's something different for you, but for me, it had to have been a psychological thing, because I, I was able to get over it and like for most of the game didn't it didn't bother me I could be wrong but I heard somewhere that the the viewing angle uh of your your vision radius was set to something different than most other FPS like I, I forget what the human the actual like 
viewing angle for a human being is, but like Valve set the one for Half-Life slightly different than what you normally expect, and so things kind of look weird. I mean, it's possible, but I've I've heard many theories from like things to like it could be like the refresh rate to mm. to to the way the HUD is on the screen to like. I don't know, just, it, there's just, everyone's got their own theory, and, like, I, I really don't know, like, just pop some Dramamine and play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go, here we go, real quick. Um, I googled Half-Life Viewing Angle mo- Motion Sickness, um, and this, this forum post, which, of course, you know, you, you, it's a forum post, so give or take, you know, if, if you, uh, if you want to believe it or not. Um. Let's see. Half-Life 2 uh, did give me some motion sickness, specifically the hovercraft part. It's because it uses a viewing angle of 75 degrees, and normal games use 90 degrees. Actually, he says that Half-Life 1 also used 90 degrees, so that is... I don't know why Half-Life 1 would have made you sick. But anyway, that, so like they, they, they do play around oh, with the viewing angles. I honestly think it's because it moves too fast. Oh. Um, because it's been like that with other games that move too fast. I see. And there's no way of actually slowing yourself down without holding a button. And I think that that's bullshit. Right, right. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah. Pete, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So, speaking of games that move fast. Uh, some oh! Games, some other games Segway! that move very fast, especially in their pacing, are the uh, is the Uncharted series. I the, uh, Over the past couple of weeks, I was able to get through, from start to completion, both Uncharted and Uncharted 2. Mm. Um. I had played uh, some of Uncharted a while back, like a while ago, uh, but never actually beat it. Um, and like I had actually uh, Uncharted. I'm not gonna worry too much about spoilers. Uh, hope you guys don't mind. Uncharted two, I obviously won't spoil anything because that's too new. But uh, start talking and I'll I cover my ears. Saw, <laughs> I actually saw a playthrough at work for um, one of the channels that we were doing. They had a gameplay channel where they would just like play through the entire game, and I actually saw the one for Uncharted. Oh wow! Okay, so you've kind of seen all of un- all the original then. I've seen most of the the gameplay and all of the cutscenes. Okay, um, so Austin, I mean, it's Uncharted. The, the story is it, it's not so important. Like, I mean, right? It, I mean, if you were gonna just go to Uncharted two, if you haven't played Uncharted, and we're just gonna go to Uncharted two. I'm, it's not I'm, one of those. I'm like a two hours into Uncharted one, so I'm still. I'm still. Oh, okay. I'll be careful, and I won't. I won't say too much. Um. Okay. Well, do you know about the complaint about the end of Unchar- the original Uncharted? I know about the complaint. I know that like instead of something epic, it was just kind of. Well, no, I meant like was. in terms of enemy type. Oh, wasn't it like a whole bunch of people, like just just grunts? Or something. I don't know. I I, I forgot. I, I heard rumblings about it, but I I don't I don't remember exactly what it was. I'm just gonna say it because it doesn't. It's not really. That's fine. No, the story. If, if it's an encounter, that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Well, people. Okay, so the major complaint with the end of Uncharted was that they introduced a new character type that was basically like, in essence, it was a zombie. Um, because mm, you know okay. every game has to have has zombies. To have a zombie. But uh, undead knights, <laughs> undead knights coming to America coming with, to America zombies. with zombies. <laughs> Um, was real. Sorry. And truth, those they like in my in my eyes, they weren't actually zombies. Uh, they were chuds, which uh, if you've seen the movie, you know what that means. Um, and uh, if you haven't, then just go see the movie because it's epic. <laughs> chuds. Um, it's called the movie is called Chud. Chud. Uh, it's an acronym for something. Uh-huh. Uh, but again, I, I won't go into what the acronym ne- means, uh, just to not spoil too much for you. So anyway, the uh, playing through Uncharted. 
you know, everyone has their complaints about Uncharted in terms of, like, the enemies being bullet sponges. Bullet sponges, yep, yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, just um, cer- certain things, like with the six-axis control being used in, pl- in ways that it probably shouldn't have been. Uh, I don't think there was too much of complaining with the platforming elements, um, but maybe just the... Uh, maybe maybe some people felt that, like, the... That the with the combat being what the way it was, maybe some people felt that it outweighed the platform elements. That there maybe should have been more like more of a balance between the two. I'm not sure. Because uh, personally, I felt that that like I really liked the platforming elements in the first Uncharted, and I thought the game started out really strong with uh with excitement and like action stuff. Like uh, obviously, you have gone through this part by yeah, now. The boat right off the bat, yeah. Well, where you yeah where you're like and then you go down you go down into the uh the first temple with Sully and there's all those like uh like there's those pseudo puzzle elements of like opening the doors and then like a lot of action elements like when you're running across the uh the 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 um fuck the 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 bridge thing and the ball the boulders rolling after you mm, and crushing mm-hmm. it like that part was uh really tense and exciting and stuff like and that gave it a really cinematic feel and everything um and it was interesting for me again okay i i mentioned before how i like to say i mentioned before um did about, you mention this before <laughs> about how <laughs> i was listening to uh rebel fm's game club and they were talking about like with the half-life series how they like especially in the last episode when they were talking about episode two they were comparing it a lot to uncharted and having personally gone right from half-life two to the uncharted series I can really see the comparisons, especially That's with the one. fact that the game tries to give you, in certain parts, have a partner following, like with you at the time. Right. Um, in Uncharted One, your AI partner really didn't do much except follow you around and talk. Right. Uh, but that is another game where, like, while you're playing the game and going through these parts that you're actually playing yourself, like, and figuring things out, your AI partner is like, you know. Acting and acting. emoting and yep. conversing with you. Um, I mean, maybe not not super heavily, but enough that it makes it feel like you know they're there, they're with you through this thing. So I really appreciate that in the game. I thought the game did that very well. Uh, the enemies were a problem. They w- did suck up bullets, especially even even if you hit them in the head, it takes a couple shots. Uh, but it never really bugged me that to that extent that it seemed to bug everybody else. Like, I mean, I just dealt with it, especially when. Before Uncharted 2 came out, uh, like when I first played it, like it was just something that I accepted as part of the game, mm. and you know I compensated for it. It's like okay, instead of like you know popping off a couple shots and then move on to the next guy, you just kind of have to like stay in cover and focus on one guy for a little bit longer. Uh, it's something that you're able to adjust to and to get through the game. And uh, I mean, I think there were some people who stopped playing the game because it became a lot more combat heavy towards the end, and I think that 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 combat element definitely made a lot of people not play through which uh the story in Uncharted 1 is good enough that it's worth playing through the entire way uh again you don't have to you don't have to have played through it to really enjoy Uncharted 2 but there is enough of a overlay that I definitely felt like I enjoyed Uncharted 2 more because I had finished Uncharted One. Yeah, you're you're more vested in the world. You're more vested in the characters there. Like even if it's even if it's not a serial continuation, it's still like, all right, well, I'm I'm kind of familiar with these guys now, and 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 things that they do in the second game might be more meaningful to me. Had uh, you know, than had I not, than if had I not played the first one. And, Absolutely, and been, you know, because uh, especially with um, 
in in Uncharted One, this isn't really spoilers because it's been in the, in the trailers and stuff, and like it's been talked about for Uncharted Two. But yeah. in, in in Uncharted One, you know Nathan Drake's, you know the the femme fatale or whatever of Uncharted One is uh, Elena the reporter, right? And in Uncharted Two, they introduce a, a new female character named Chloe, uh, who is kind of like Drake's love interest, uh, and she's apparently like a, a flame from his past or whatever, um, and like. So when I started on uh, now again this isn't a spoiler because it, it's pretty much been said numerous places and I I'm pretty sure it's been seen in trailers too but Elena is also in in, in Uncharted two yeah I've seen her yeah okay so like when Uncharted one ended I was really in, invested in like this relationship between Nathan and Elena right and, like when Uncharted two started she's not really there like this girl Chloe's there and it kind of actually like upset me that like like. They almost went with the James Bond model of you know dropping one girl and just in- introducing a new one, right. and like that being his new love interest. And then um, when she comes back in, then you're like, oh, yeah, like it was definitely like a sigh of relief, and I'm glad she was back because I really liked her character. Um, and uh, so like that was really cool. And then like Uncharted Two does a lot more with having the characters uh, that are with you, like whatever your AI partner. They give you an AI partner a lot more of the time. And they're more competent. They definitely can uh, hold their own. They can fight back. They can. They're survivable. Um, from what I've been, what I've heard, uh, they can die in certain sequences where, like, you are, you're both, like, uh, an early sequence. Um, and this is in Giant Bomb's quick look, so I'm not going to feel bad about talking about this. But there's a sequence where you and Sully are in a uh, jungle in Borneo, fighting off. Uh, like, you're you're actually entrenched in the enemy's camp in the jungle and they're coming in to get you out and like you're both you're fighting off these waves of enemy that are coming in and Sully's up in a uh, machine gun turret thing and he's like holding his own while you're you're fighting on the ground and supposedly he can die there I've been I've heard uh, the giant bomb guys say and I think I've heard other people say but throughout my entire experience of playing the game I've never had any any times where the AI partner has died, it's always been me that's fucked up and died. Huh. Um, so, like, I don't know if that can actually happen or not, but, I mean, I actually, in a way, I kind of hope it it could happen. I, I've already completed the game, so it doesn't matter for me, but it would actually be a little bit too uh, too unbalanced if they let the AI partner uh, basically become, you know... Invincible? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because then you, basically you're, you're, you can just hide and cover the whole time and let them take out as many as you as they can right. take out and then you just clean up the mess uh, or the extras, which is like, yeah, that's kind of like imbalanced. Um, but anyway, yeah, just in terms of like the overall like AI partner with you the whole time and acting and stuff, they like brought it to the next level. It, it definitely uh, – it makes the game even like ten times more enjoyable than the first one and I love the first one. Um, I said this when I actually uh, – Going back to Game Slaves Radio, because uh, when Game I <laughs> when I had played the original Uncharted, I didn't mention on it. Uh, I was talking with Charlie about how I felt that the PlayStation, ex- especially the PlayStation exclusive games, uh, the ones developed specifically by like Sony's, you know, SEA or S- Sony Entertainment of Japan or anything like that, um, those have like a very cinematic feel to them. Game like. At the time, it was basically Heavenly Sword and uh, Uncharted were the ones right. I was really looking at. But even things you look at things like uh, like the Ratchet and Clank series and things like that, um, they all have a uh, very like I don't know. It feel those are the games that really make you feel like you're playing 
along with a movie type of thing. Right. Uh, they use a lot – in my eyes, they kind of use a lot of movie conventions to progress the storytelling and like present like certain scenes and like dramatic action to you. Um, whereas Xbox seems to like – for me, like a lot of Xbox exclusives, like like things like Gears of War, Halo, and stuff, and like are just they feel more gamey. Now, to that end, I can see I wanna, that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, like to that end, I wanted to talk about how uh, gamey aspects in games that are trying to be more like fast paced, cinematic, have like have this great pacing and flow through the game. Like Uncharted and Uncharted Two have this amazing flow where like it is just like breakneck action speed, then like a little bit of like exposition, and then back into more like action. And you just like you're always pumped and like you're you're along for this like roller coaster ride of enjoyment. But sounds like a movie critic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, what? I was gonna say real quick though, like for in my personal experience, like the the one thing that kind of broke that flow for me were the bullet sponge enemies. Yes. Like, I, I felt that that took me out of it a little bit. That is true. Like, Uncharted <clears> 1, <throat> like, see, to me, like, when I look back at it overall, I felt like the pacing was still good enough. And that, like, like I said, definitely in the first half of the game, you had that cinematic feel. Whereas in the later half, it became very combat oriented and it kind of lost that feel. And I think that was a lot of pop people's problem with the first game. Uncharted 2 definitely fixes that. And, like,. You definitely like what I just like how excited I just sounded. If you play through Uncharted Two, I guarantee you'll feel the same way. Um, at least I'm I'm speaking specifically to you, Austin, because <laughs> uh, I mean Ooh. I don't know how other people feel. <laughs> Why are you not talking to me? Well, I did, I don't know how you haven't played Uncharted One and people who haven't like it's it's one of those things like you have to kind of actually be into that kind of game. Like I mean, if you're not into the whole uh, like platforming elements of it like that could really bother you uh i don't know some people don't like third person action games you know there just could be like i don't want to say everybody will find it enjoyable but if you're into I'd that give type it of... a try yeah i, mean, I, mean, I saw the game al, and it looked al, like i it think was you fun. would like it too don't worry i yeah. think you would like it too. thank you I feel oh. special now. <laughs> so, give a hug to go back to what i was trying to segue to and before segue. Um, the problem is when games and why games still do this i don't know but when games introduce some sort of fucking collectible to try to make it more gamey. In Uncharted 1, it like there were these uh you could collect these treasures which are basically it's like, you know, like just random objects scattered throughout the world that like it's just a collectible, it doesn't really do anything except give you like you can earn, you know, PlayStation trophies and stuff with it. Um and it gives you interesting items. It makes sense in the context of the game. You guys are being weird. <laughs> uh, We're typing in the chat room, sorry. <laughs> it makes sense in the context of the game that you're looking for these, like, ancient, like, relics of, uh, like, past civilizations as treasures. The only thing is that they're, like, they're not always in what would make sense contextually in terms of the scene. Like, they'll just be, like, like a, a level might be built where there is this random dead-end path, like, or this weird odd corner where they'll like it'll be specifically made to hide a treasure there and what it, what a treasure is is just like this like like little glowing like object on the ground that you uh have to keep an eye out for and then uh when you step over it you just click on it and you get the treasure and blah blah, blah. uh so the problem with a game like this is that it that totally breaks the pacing too now in uncharted one uh 
I just didn't bother really looking for them. Like whatever ones I kind of came across, I came across, and I told myself I'm not going to look for them because I don't want to like I don't want it to become a game where I'm constantly staring at the ground or looking in odd places just to find these try to find these treasures. It, that totally fucks up the game. I've mentioned it before about games like Bioshock and stuff, like where where when a game introduces an element that has you looking everywhere but the way you should be looking, it breaks you out of the illusion and atmosphere of being in that world in so much that like now you just feel like you're on this stupid little like you know treasure hunt thing. Yeah, I mean, I no, agree. No, no pun intended there. But um, but I don't mind. I'm sorry about interrupting you, but no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I have to say that I feel the same way about Bionic Commando, the Xbox 360 game. They had yeah. collectibles scattered all throughout the game, and there's really no reward other than like an achievement. It's not like you get a super weapon or anything for getting them, but a lot of them were tests of how well you can swing, and they were... First, it was a test of how well you can actually see the damn thing, and then once you actually saw it, it was a test of how well you can swing to actually pick it up, because it was just like in the middle of the air. And you would wind up wasting so much time to swing correctly, and you know, you do this trial and error, like, oh, maybe if I swing this way, or maybe if I let go this way, and it really distracted you from the main point of the game, which was to get from point A to point B. So I decided, right. you know what? If I see a collectible and it's on my way and it's something I think I could get, I'll try and get it. But I'm not trying to get the achievement. I'll just do it as kind of like a little uh, diversion. But there, there would be like a achie- uh, achievement. There would be a, a collectible that's like all the way up in the sky somewhere. I'm like, fuck you. I'm going on with the game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that. I I used to be the type of person who would like if I if their game did present some sort of collectible. I you know I have OCD and like I I gotta col- you gotta go get it. Yeah, I have to collect everything. But like at least in this at least with these past couple games and I definitely this generation I've just kind of started getting away with that. Like like I said, games like Bioshock really pissed me off so much that I stopped playing the game. I mean. Bioshock supposedly has this awesome story and everything, but when they had the story presented to collectibles that took me out of the atmosphere, I stopped playing the game. So that's why, especially with these games, like I want to finish games even if I don't hundred percent them. Right. So I that's... just tell them. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> go ahead. No, I, I think it's very interesting that you put it that way because, uh, and and I've only been playing Bioshock. I only played Bioshock for forty five minutes before it crashed, and then I re- reformatted my computer and forgot to reinstall it. But that's besides the point. Um. <clears throat> I always felt that that actually added to the immersion, depending on how you uh, set it. Because I know that Bioshock has a setting to highlight or not highlight items, and you could turn it off so that like the tape recorders that you pick up aren't highlighted, mm-hmm. but they're just they just blend into the environment. Metroid Prime is somewhat similar in that you have to you you digest not necessarily the ongoing story, but the backstory and things that explain what happens in Metroid Prime's world through scanning objects and scanning items and scanning monsters, etc., etc., etc. By concept, it is gamey, but through the execution, I think it's actually a very smart way of handling it because to me, actually, um, me being in the shoes of the character that you know, we're playing as me. We having to be that character and play that character. If you're in, if you're, if you're talking about, and like, I'm not, I'm not going to say role playing in the sense of role playing game, but I mean literally role playing as that character. You're go. This is how you're going to get that story if you were in that world. Like, if I'm in Bioshock's world, 
like I'm in the world, right? How am I going to figure? Out, I, I, how else am I actually going to figure out what's going on? Um, well, I shouldn't say how else should I, but it makes sense that like, all right, well, this is you know, this is a story. This is the backstory that I'm getting because I, I stumbled across this diary entry or this tape recorder. L- like in many games, like Resident Evil, you come across diary entries, right? So it, it's it's a whole idea of like they're not feeding you the story through a cutscene that takes you out of the shoes of the character that you're in. Kind of like in Half-Life, they keep you in Gordon's shoes. You know, they don't take you out. Um, they don't, you know... i got to interrupt real quick. The difference between something like Bioshock and Half-Life is Half-Life, you can't possibly skip the story. Like, you... Like, there's no way to accidentally miss a part of the story. Like, I mean, you can miss, like, certain, like extra story elements by, like, not looking at certain things on walls or in the environment, but, like, the main part of the story you can't possibly miss because it's going to, you know, halt you for a second so it can present you with this, like, you know, this acted-out scene or whatever. Bioshock, you could miss a tape recorder, and that's what bothered me. I I, I realize that, but I think that that's what makes it immersive in the sense that it's, like, you you have to do your due diligence as that character. You're role playing this character. You you're not going to have everything force fed to you unless you do what you're supposed to do. And I'm not saying that's better or worse. I'm just saying that I personally find it more immersive because of that. Not more immersive than has more not more immersive than Half Life, but just it, it it gives a more immersive experience than many other types of games. Whereas you feel the opposite. <laughs> you feel it's less immersive. You know what the difference is between probably me and you is that like if uh, you remember those choose your own adventure books. Uh huh. Were you the type of person who would just you would like choose a path and then follow the story down there, or did, were you the type of person who like went back and like would constantly check back on the other pages that you could have read? Uh, I can't remember. I probably cheated around a little bit. I probably oh. like I probably took one path and then was just like, huh, I wonder what happens if I did that back then, and I'd go back and be like, okay, you oh, know, so- like. <laughs> I was going to say, see, you just ruined my theory, because my theory was that you're the type of person who would be like, you know, I chose this path, and, like, you know, this is the way that the, that the story is going to be presented to me based on my choices, whereas I'm the type of person who's like, if they wrote all these words, I want to read all these words, and I don't want to miss anything, and I don't want to skip anything. I see so you read, don't tell me you read the Choose Your Adventure book from front to back. <laughs> no, not from front to back, but I would, I would I'd basically be reading multiple paths at the same time. Oh, as opposed to just doing one path and then right. doing another path, like rereading the book, you would actually like split it up yes. and do like, like three paths at the same time. Like, oh well, this is what happens here, and you get to the juncture, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna hold that, and I'm gonna go back to the previous juncture, and then yes. go to the. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I, I yeah. would just read it and go to the end, and if I died, I died, and I go and start over. Again. <laughs> well, I'll 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 explain. I think I'll explain it in this way, in that I um. Like like many people know, I'm not huge on story in terms of that being a priority for me, right? I, I, I'm huge more on the mechanics, on the level design, uh, on just everything else about the experience outside of the story. Um, and to a far lesser extent outside of the, outside of the aesthetics. Like for me, it's, it's mostly about you know, what I can do. And I think maybe that feeds into me um, enjoying things more where... When they when they put things out in front of you, they treat you as if you're that person, and they don't force feed you things. Like, like if if I want to get the if I want to get the story, I'll go get it. If I just want to play, I'll go play. That's what happened to me in Doom Three, because you know how like some, they they have like tape recordings in that too. Like, um, and they actually do a really good job of integrating like the like uh, menus and all and, and inventory stuff into your actual character. Like, you'll actually you know use the 
I don't know if you played Doom Three, but like a, a lot of the terminals that you come across, like yeah, they, I, they they don't they don't come up as in a separate screen. They stay there, but they make it. You know, they, they integrate everything into the world. Now, Doom is not a paragon of storytelling <laughs> by any means, but my point being that like they they integrate you into the experience, not as something that's that's you know they they they're tossing you things but you have to go and get it and should you choose not to get it you could still play the game i mean you'd be missing it on which is not to say that in bioshock that i'd skip it and i yes i i probably would get frustrated sitting there trying to find every tape recorder but i feel like if i were actually the dude in bioshock and i wanted to know everything and that mean that means that i had to look down for every tape recorder yeah i'd actually get frustrated being in that world which is again which is not to say that more realistic is better, or more, you know, immersive is necessarily better, but I'm just saying that for the sake of argument. Um, so, <clears throat> when we're talking about Uncharted and treasures, now, maybe if they put the treasures, and, and this is what it sounds like they did based on what you said, they're putting the treasures in places that kind of don't make sense, or they're just leaving them scattered on the ground, you just look for a little sparkly thing that's kind of stupid. Right. But the, the idea of there being these treasures scattered about for you to grab, as a concept doesn't bother me at all. It's, it's how they execute it. So if they execute it wrong, then, you know, bad on them. But if they did it in the right way, like... I have a perfect solution. Shit. Yeah. Is that the, for your first playthrough, they should just not have treasures in the game. It shouldn't introduce the whole collecting treasure element only for a second playthrough if you want to do it because your first playthrough should be focused on progressing forward and experiencing this game the way that, you know, the cinematic experience they want to give you. Um... Because, I mean, that's how that's how the game should be enjoyed, in my opinion. And I think that's how they want people to enjoy the game. Um, I, re- I, I really... I think that there's, there must have been, like, two teams or something. One team saying, you know, like, we want people to get, have this, like, breakneck action speed through the game. And another team saying, no, you gotta do... So- it's gotta be, like, a game. There's gotta be something you can collect. <laughs> I, I, see, I, I can't agree with that. Like, I can't agree with the, this is how it should be enjoyed, and therefore they should take away the treasures for people who might actually get into the role of treasure hunter or thief or whatever you or want to OCD. call it or OCD right and it's and, and it's not about making it more gamey but it's about adding to what the world is you know like having like i think execution wise they shouldn't have it just sitting on the ground glowing and sparkling but they should they should place these treasures in areas that you know, and of course this is treasure hunting, so it's kind of hard to say this, but in areas that might make more sense for there to be stuff lying yeah. around. Like when you're and, in and, a, a tomb, like an ancient tomb or something, that would have like relics in it that would be make sense. And I, you've obviously played Uncharted, so you've seen what I'm talking about, that these aren't even like, they're not physical objects in the world, they're just like a little glowing speck. Yeah, no, I agree, I totally agree with that, and I think that's why I said it's in the execution uh, but I think that I think you can still have the the type of experience that you want in terms of the cinematics and in terms of the pacing, without stripping the the gaminess out of it. And when I say the gaminess, I mean like specifically that treasure thing. They just have to execute it better and integrate it more into um, the story. Because I, I and I th- I think it, it comes down to a to a to a difference between do I want to role play or do I want to have to, do I want to just experience something. Right. And pe- for people who want to role play, taking that treasure aspect out of it is basically saying, "Well, I'm a fucking treasure hunter. Why, why can't I pick up this shit if I want to?" And the story aspect is, "No, no, no, no. Don't bother me with this stuff. Nathan Drake is a treasure hunter. You tell me how he's a treasure hunter. You tell me about his adventure. I don't want to have to work for it because I'm playing this game 
so that you can tell me the story. And I think I think that's been actually a, a huge discussion in past One Up Yours shows when uh, when Luke Smith was still there, when Garnet and Luke would debate between things like World of Warcraft versus uh, Final Fantasy, Oblivion versus Front Mission. You know, Garnet was usually, if 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 I remember correctly, was usually on the story-driven Japanese angle where Luke was like, I'm on the whole, this is a world, I want to be able to do what I want to do in it because that's what they call it role-playing games for. And so I think it's just two different philosophies, and I think they can be married in games like Uncharted because it's like it's not touting the whole, oh, it's an open world and you can do whatever you want, and then you can like steal a horse if you want to. You know, there's, a way to balance, there's a way to balance it out, and from the sound of Uncharted 2, they, haven't, they still haven't done that. They've still yeah. put in the little glowing things. Like, and that's, that, that is disappointing. And like I said, personally, what I did was I just had decided that with Uncharted 2, like with the Uncharted series, that I was going to skip these treasures. And with Uncharted 2, that was my game plan. But the problem was that my girlfriend decided to watch me play, and every time she would see something glow, she'd be like, there's a glowy thing. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, I don't care. But I went and got them just to appease her because she felt like she was helping by spotting these things for me, whereas I was just trying to, like, play through the game. Um, And also, uh, it... It definitely uh, Uncharted definitely has one of those cinematic appeals where people can just watch you play and enjoy it. Because I mean, she was totally into watching. Because like, it presents you with uh, enough. It presents you with enough exposition, like in frequent doses, that like, it's not so. It's not so much like you're in combat for like you know a half hour or something before you get another story part. So like, um, she was able to kind of just watch me and like like, sit through the combat parts. Not that she, I mean, it's not like she's, like, anti-gamer or anything. She plays games, too, so it's, like, a little bit different with her. But, like, I think even just, like, normal, like, you know, guy with a girl who doesn't play games or something could have her sit down and watch and enjoy the game in so much mm. just for its story. <clears throat> um, but, uh, what was I, I was going to say something else, and I completely forgot. Ugh. That you got to pee. What? What? <laughs> huh? Huh? Ah, Okay, uh-huh. so anyway, yeah, I wanted to. We were talking about uh, like, cause you. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna progress onto the differences of like people saying that Uncharted Two improved everything about Uncharted, and like that people seem to be glossing over the fact that there are downsides to Uncharted Two. Uh, so like, obviously the treasure thing is something for myself. I think that they probably should have did away with that, but that's just personal opinion. But there are other problems. Like, the major one for me is that in Unchar- in the original Uncharted, the the levels seemed like they were designed to play this game. So you kind of never really got lost. I, at least I don't remember ever really getting lost anywhere. Like, I felt mm. like I was just going down this path and being funneled where I needed to be. In Uncharted 2, they made the world more organic, so the levels look a lot more natural and... Like, the game looks gorgeous, uh, but the problem there is I, there was, like, at least half a dozen or more times where I d- just got lost and, like, like would constantly just jump around. I, I mean, you guys know, obviously, with Uncharted 2, you can, like, there's a lot more stuff you can, like, climb and stuff. Like, in the environment, uh, they use a lot of the natural elements of the environment to allow you to climb. Like, for instance, when you're in the streets of... Uh, some place I can't remember. Uh, you can climb. You can climb up the the street pole. You know the street lights and like through like across like billboards and stuff like that. Like that just seem like natural parts of the world and don't seem like they're there specifically for you to climb. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So 
because there's all this all these climbable objects and the worlds look more organic and it's not so clear cut where your path is. I mean, it almost looks like some some settings almost look like you're in an open world type environment. Uh like like think almost like Assassin's Creed where instead of like it giving you a map and being like, "Okay, you you got to get to this point and you can get to there anyway because it's an open world." Uh in this it's like you don't know where the next point is to trigger either the next cutscene or the next wave of enemies or whatever you need, but you got like this kind of pseudo open world that you got to traverse around to find your next part. Does that make sense? No. Oh man. (laughs) Not to me. I'm sorry. It's kind of like you have to play to kind of understand because like it, it probably won't make sense unless you're actually in the game and you get lost and you're like, Oh, I see what he's talking about. Cause I don't know where to go now. Um, it's like you got to find that one like that that one area that you have to climb and then like maybe hurdle over a wall that'll drop you into the next area and then get you like progressing with the story whereas like i, I don't know how to describe it all i know is that i got lost and i feel like that the organicness of the world and the the more expansiveness of the levels uh kind of were a catalyst to my constantly getting lost, whereas I didn't feel like I really got, uh, where I didn't feel like I was really like getting sidetracked or mis like misplacing the direction I needed to go, whatever in the first game. So to me, that's a problem. Uh, some other stuff is that it the game in segments seems harder, uh, even on the normal difficulty, like. On normal, on the first game, aside from the combat situations, I felt like there wasn't really too much difficulty getting through the game. Whereas on playing through normal on Uncharted 2, I felt like the, again, the the confusion to me, the, maybe this is all just personal, maybe other people got through the game without any problems, but to me, the confusion of, of not really knowing where to go, or knowing which way to face, and which way enemies were going to come, and just the, like, the way the world is, and each level is, uh, led to many, many deaths and um, and frustration. So I feel like the game is harder, and I feel like I got lost a lot. But the game is overall better. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because I want to talk about review scores, and I know this is a topic that you guys, like, we've all talked about numerous times, but I feel it needs to be brought up again because Uncharted 2 is one of those games that came out and, like, critics decided to latch onto it as being the next you know like I don't want to say perfect score I'm going to start using the term top score because we've already discussed many many times that there's no really such thing as a perfect game and using the word perfect score is a misnomer except for Ocarina of Time oh god shut up (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah like you know many many reviewers gave this game a top score and then someone like Anthony Gallegos for uh, GameSpy gave it a. I think he gave it a. What what is? I don't know what their score is there. I think it's out of five. He gave it a four point yeah. five out of out of five. Stars out of five. Yeah, stars out of five. And everyone went ballistic on him, like because they thought he was like stupid or something. Now, personally, if if I was giving this a review on a ten point scale, it would be if it was a ten point with like half denominations, like eight eight point five nine. Yeah. I, this would be an eight point five or nine point oh game. It is an amazingly like like I, I've already gone into how amazing it is, okay? So the single player experience is about an eight point five or a nine. Now to me, game it's hard for me to really make this point without you and you guys be able to agree or disagree because you haven't played the game yet. But to me, games like this should be considered like 
you know, these are it's a great game and it should be considered like, you know, games should just be made this way, all right? Okay. The the fact that there is such crap in the industry, like a dearth of crap games, that a game like this is considered a 10 show goes to show that the the industry is imbalanced in the like production of its games. Like this game should be considered an like you know, a slightly above average to great game and all games should strive to just like at least meet this game standards and then like games that are like beyond wait, wait, this to, should to be to a clarify 10. what to clarify what you just said so that people don't jump down your back, what you're saying is that the average game should be as good as this. Yes. Like okay. just I just wanna make be, sure because people be playing, will be, <laughs> Pete's stupid when he's not. I should be playing a is. game that is this much fun at least on a monthly basis. Like there should at least be one game a month that is this amazing. And the then fact that the like, other games are better or maybe slightly worse. That's how the standards of this industry should be. Yes, like, I mean, it is. I mean, it's obviously it's it's kind of rare that a game like this comes out. That like as soon as something like this happens, you know, all these sites and all these reviewers want to give it a top score. And in my opinion, it is not. Wor- like this is where people are gonna shoot down my back because I don't think it's worthy of a top score. Hey, um, fuck them. <laughs> I mean, fuck I had the mamas. I had the in mo- the mouth. <laughs> I had the most fun playing. I, at least I can't remember other games that I played earlier in this year. But like off the top of my head, I think this is the most fun I've had playing a game this year. Um, even compared to Half Life Two Episode Two, that is an amazing game and a great game and stuff. But just in terms of like, like. One shot off, you know, through the game, throughout the entire game, like overall enjoyment. Uncharted Two is top top of my list this year, but I feel like I should be having those experiences more often, and I feel like this should be an eight point five or nine point oh game. Um, right. Like, I mean, how do you guys feel about that? Where like, like just in ter- obviously can't talk about Uncharted Two specifically, but in terms of the industry, like taking a game that might not be like worthy of a top score and giving it a top score just because there's not that many games that come out that like like you know what I said <laughs> right I, I I mean I think uh I don't know how long how long ago this was when I when I said this but I you, you probably may remember that I think scores are just fucking stupid yeah and, and I think they're necessary but I hate that they're necessary I hate that we have to rely on that uh, personally, I think there's no real. Uh, I'll give some reviewers the benefit of the doubt when they give this game a top score. I don't necessarily think that it's saying that like, oh, um, I don't. I don't even know how to put it. I just think that when you when you experience something that you are just so thrilled with, you 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 must give it the praise you think it deserves, and. If that praise has to come out in the form of a metric, in the form of a score, because that's what the industry demands, and you're like, well, if I have to put a number on it, if I had to put a number on it to 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 give you an idea of just how much I enjoyed this game, then this is my top score. So when you say that you should be pl- like you should be playing games like this on a monthly basis, that game that the standard should be this way, that doesn't mean that the the rating scale should shift to accommodate for that standard. You well, I think I mean? the rating scale needs to shift just because the whole rating scale isn't used. Right. No, that that needs to be used, and I think I think that sites that boil it down to five stars, like Giant Bomb, are actually doing a decent job of it. And I've tried to do as good a job of it as I can with something like GameSpot, where 
or GameSpot or, or other sites like IGN, usually when they have a, a, a very large range, it, it usually ends up in the, you know what I mean? It ends up in that little upper quadrant. Mm-hmm. But right. if, you, if you actually pay attention, think like at least with GameSpot, from what I've seen, or at least what I put up there, like they have been very good about like making sure that if it's a bad game, it's going to get a 1, 2, or a 3. Right. And if it's like pretty bad, it'll get a 4. And like for, for, for the thing I just played, Undead Nights, I gave it a 5.5, okay? Because I didn't have a terrible time playing it, but it felt mediocre to me. And guess what? GameSpot's scores come with words that accompany the numbers. 5.5 is mediocre. So that's what I gave it. I didn't give it a 6.5 because, well, it's not bad, so it must be fair. No, it was fucking mediocre, so I gave it that score. Right. You know? So, But you're right that most of the time, like, you don't see things getting, getting the entire gamut. But, again, I don't think that that means that if a game is great, and just because you should be playing ga- great games all the time, that... That we should shift the uh, shift the rate. I'll give you an example from from my job. Okay, um, when I was doing testing management, we had uh, we had ratings for how critical a defect was and how severe it was, or a priority and severity. I'm sorry. So, um, a critical defect would be something that you know a key functionality of whatever application we we're making is 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 wrong. There's something wrong with it, and then a fatal defect is something that um, that um, you actually cannot do your job with the application because it's like system ending. The system is down. Or like some some ferret came in and like chewed all the server cables. That would be a fail. <laughs> that wouldn't be a defect. But you get, you get my drift. Fatal is fatal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when they started logging you know, a, a mess of critical defects because they felt that, like people who were using it felt that this is stopping me from doing my job. Oh my god, it's a disaster. Well, the more critical defects that we got in through our defect reports, the less significant each critical became because it's just like... Well, oh, it goes another the critical because they yeah, think they, everything's it, fucking critical. Yeah, and it's like it, 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 it gets to a point where it's just like, well, what's really actually that critical anymore? Like, is this really critical? Like, what are we... You know, that in that instance, we had to rethink about how we were labeling these things. I do not think that that similar type of thing needs to happen for game scores based on what we think should be the standard. Is basically what I'm trying to say. But that's okay. just me. No, it makes sense. Um, I understand what you're saying. I mean, Al... And Al just wrote in the chat room, fucking mediocre. <laughs> well, that's because you said it. Fucking mediocre. Yes, I did. Al, what is your opinion on this? Um, well, I think that we should have m- more better games. More betterer. More better blues. <laughs> uh... <laughs> You know, games such that the uh, analysis of the scale would properly interpret what the quality of the games are. I mean, it it does it now, but it's to the point where, like, the general curve is most of the games are mediocre, and some very few of the games are really just that good. And then when a game comes out that's just that good, it winds up getting a 9, 9.510. So you wind up getting, you know, maybe 5% of the games that come out getting those super high scores. When, you know, if the industry standards were better and, you know, most of the mediocre games actually were good, then maybe those um, decent, you know, really good games like uh, Uncharted 2 or something like that 
may wind up being a 7.5 or an 8, but that 7.5 or an 8 would actually indicate that this game is phenomenal, but it's not mind-blowing. And then, you know, instead of 5% of the games getting 9 or 10, maybe a good 2 or 1% of the games would get a 9 or 10, and it, it would be almost like truly deserving and maybe almost changing the name from top score to perfect score. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's just my little imaginary uh, course of if the industry was better, those are how the scores, quote-unquote, would reflect right. or what they would reflect. Um, and about your comment about, you know, there just not being that many games that are of that caliber, I would have to agree with that. Like, you know, this year, there was just definitely a a, a, a lack of good games to be released such that I don't even know how many games I purchased this year, but it definitely wasn't as much as like last year and the year before. I don't know if maybe even the economy has something to do with that. Or the fact that all of the games have been pushed to 2010. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, there are some good games that are coming out. Like, you know, you got Brutal Legend that just came out a couple of weeks ago. Or last week, I should say. Right. Uh, you got Assassin's Creed coming out in November. Modern Warfare 2 coming out in November. Um, um, um. <laughs> that's kind of where the buck stops. <laughs> But in the you know earlier this year, a lot of games come out. But you know, I'm not really too enthusiastic about actually getting these games, partially because like, um, I have a lot of really good games already that I haven't gotten to yet. And that's just my personal case. But I think that, you know, the number of games that are like must-haves, especially for the the holiday season, are extremely low. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people may wind up getting uh, older time-tested games. I mean, alright, Ratchet and Clank just came out uh, with a sequel, Crack and Time. Yeah, crack. Uh, so that's another game that is going to probably be one of those must-haves for the holiday season. But that came out in October. And you have Halo 3 ODST and um, so a lot of other games came down to $20 and whatnot. But these are games that came out last year. So when it comes to, like, not that many games coming out, I think that you're telling the truth with, you know, not that many good games are coming out and a lot of, like, crap is really being released or a lot of things that nobody really wants to buy. And then that has a big effect on what review scores look like. Yeah, too. I mean, that was I, kind of my point was that, like, I wasn't trying to, like, you know, like, I I was just making the comments about, like, the 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 way the industry is and the the release schedule and, like, the way, like, not a lot of good games have been coming out and stuff. Just to kind of... Like solidify my point that re- when when a game like this comes out is when reviewers it it more I was more talking about like reviewers and specifically like rather than review scales or or games themselves that it's the reviewers that are just like well this game is one of the few good really 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 good games that we get so it has to get the top score. Well, yeah, um, I think that that's just because. It's a circumstantial thing, it, exactly what you described. You know, they run through games that are like, oh, this is a seven, oh, this is a five, oh, this is a seven, oh, this is a five, and then something comes out that's good, like, oh my god, this is, this is a ten! Oh, let me put this up here as a ten point one. <laughs> point one. And I, I think that that shock effect of how, oh my goodness, this is a good game, really kind of does it, and then people expect to see that. 
you know, a game like Halo 3 ODST, we probably got, what, a 9, 9.5? Um, even though, like, a lot of people said that, oh, Halo 3 ODST is too short, uh, that this game, it, it, it rips a lot of the stuff out of just Halo 3. I mean, it, it's supposed to. But it, if you were into multiplayer and not really the single player, then it makes no sense to get ODST, you just get Halo 3. Because uh, I think that it's not built on the same multiplayer um, like core, I guess you could say, such that there's Halo 3, people playing Halo 3, and then people playing ODST, but they're not playing together. I don't know if that's truly the oh, case I or not. Oh, I actually don't know. But peop- yeah, I don't know if that's, a tra- if that's the case or not, but um, I think that when, you know, you got people saying certain things about ODST, but then the reviews come out and saying that you know, this game is, you know, wonderful, it, it does this, it does that, it does this, it does that, I think it could be a, a a factor of, well, I haven't really seen any good games in a while, and I know it's a Halo game, and people are probably going to be pissed off if I gave it an 8.5, so let me give it a 9.5. I don't know if that's truly the case, but it's right. plausible. I mean, it... it- so, yeah, uh, basically I'm just saying that, like, a lot of times when people see a good game come out, they kind of just, you know, right. bless another Yeah, over. no, that, that, that's certainly the case, and I think, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's actually a little bit destructive because the, then you, it feeds into the marketing hype as well. I'm not saying that reviews are marketing, but mm-hmm. when, when you have the marketing behind it and then you get validation from somebody who, who happens to, you know, splooge a little bit over this one game that they think is fantastic just because they've kind of been starved, you know, you get a saltine, it's going to be the best saltine you ever had <laughs> uh, after you've been starving. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but that's a good ass cracker, is that right? <laughs> um, but uh, it, 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 it it feeds into the marketing and, and the hype to the point where, A, we've got this totally destructive community where, like, th- th- there's stupid fanboy wars, just like there is for anything else, but it's just, you know, it, it, it feels so, vo- so, more, um, so, more, so much more violent in games, you know? In, in technology stuff, it seems more violent, like th- this whole fanboyism, than it does with anything else, you know? Never minding East Coast, West Coast, we're saying shit, you know? Forget about that for a second. Like it's it's so like 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 people get on the internet and they think they're they say shit and it's just it's really stupid and destructive, um, so that's one thing about it that you know someone gives a game a perfect score someone's gonna be like yeah what bitch I told you and they're gonna be like no fuck you man he's getting paid blah 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 what's with all that noise right the second thing that it does is that if the game truly isn't that great, but it gets acclaim, and, heh, acclaim it gets acclaim <laughs> and um. <laughs> And, 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 and hype and, and, and whatever because it's fueled by this, this, this kind of fanboys, fanboyism or, 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 or excitement or whatever, then that, inc- that's, that tells the publisher, that tells the developer that, hey, what you made is really the bee's knees. Keep on doing this. When in fact, you know what? They probably could have fixed a thing or two, and they're not going to because they know that the people are going to eat it up. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the second destructive thing that it does. Um, like... When PC Magazine, PC Magazine, when PC Gamer gave Crisis the score that it did, it was like a high 90s. It was like 98 or something like that. Yeah. Um, or did they even do like, so, there was some retarded magazine that gave a game like an 11 out of 10. Because there was something like that. I think Maximum <laughs> PC gave Half-Life 2 an 11 out of 10. All right. That will not stand. Anyway, something like that. Okay. And, and 
this is a personal thing. Having followed PC magazine, PC Gamer for quite a while, and reading how they write, the review really. And I'm not trying to 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 talk shit about others, but just from what I saw, the review really smacked of. This is Crisis. This is a PC game. This is an awesome PC game. You can't get this shit on consoles. Consoles can't do Crisis. They can't do those physics. They can't do those graphics. I'm gonna give it a high score just to let those console fanboys know where real games should be played. And that's been. The, the vibe that I got from that magazine this whole time. So when I saw that score, and I saw the way they wrote that, wrote that review, I'm just like, really? Like, I want Crisis to be great, but really? I'm like, really? I read that, and I'm like, uh. Yeah. Played Crisis for myself. Great game. If I had to score it, it wouldn't be above a 9. Right. And in fact, based on what I hear about how it gets in the later half, it probably wouldn't be above an 8. But you know what? That's okay, because it's a good score. And it, doesn't, it shouldn't matter that it's not perfect, and it shouldn't rile up fanboys the way it does. You know, Sean Elliott had this whole thing about when he gave the game an 8, and then, and then some dude put in the comments, Why so low? Right. You know, you I'm sure you remember that. And it's yeah. just like, mm-hmm. it's like, is that really, first of all, is that really low? Second of all, Not low at all. Second of all, how much does that really matter in the face of, you read the text and read what's important about the game, the score is really there for your own benefit, because your ass is too lazy to read it. So, you know, if you're going to ask, why so low, why don't you read it? And and that's another thing that I think that scores in general uh, have have always been destructive. Like they 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 don't you know they don't encourage you to learn about the product that you're going after. The way you learn about it is through what you know you like and what you're willing to swallow from previews and and PR and shit. And so when the review finally comes out, all you want to do is get validation that what you've liked really deserves to be liked. And when when it's not validated, then you get mad about it. And that's not what reviews are there for. So I mean like. I, I, I have veered way off of Uncharted. No, no, it's so, fine. W- <laughs> how is his half-tuck in this game? <laughs> uh, <laughs> pretty good. Um, and fun, actually, interesting. Well, I, no, I won't ruin it because it's, it's a funny little thing if you notice it in the game. Um, it's an inside joke that they play off of Tim Schafer, possibly. No, 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 I know no, no. Tim no, Schafer wrote a whole thing about the Something in the game that I noticed while playing that has nothing to do with Tim Schafer. It's just completely, completely in the game that I was like, oh, that's funny. I, I enjoy okay. that they did that. Um, once you're done, I I'll tell you. Like, like I'll, sure. I'll find out if you noticed tell it. Tell me when I'm older. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just to finish up this discussion, that like, I mean, well, we kind of we're we're kind of done with that. I'll just move away. Just before we get off of Uncharted, 2, I just want to mention that I did also play multiplayer. Um, mm. and multiplayer is fun for the time that I'm in. Un like for for. Right after having come off Uncharted 2, I'm still in Uncharted mood, so multiplayer is a lot of fun, uh, but it's not like an, you know, it's not light years beyond any other, you know, console, like, multiplayer mode. I mean, it reminds me of, uh, what was the game? Like, I mean, even, like, older Xbox 360 games, like, like just any kind of third-person a- action game, maybe, um, I'm trying to think of a game, goddammit, uh... Gears of War. No, because Gears of War. Is... Come here, elements of power. Gears of War is more of a shooter than yeah, uh, right. than like Tomb Raider, an action game. Um, Tomb Raider didn't have multiplayer, but like I don't know something like oh, the, multi- out, yeah, the right. outfit or something uh, on the 360. Like that was a third person. Like it had shooting and stuff, but like it was from the third person angle. So like the shooting in Uncharted kind of feels sort of like that. Uh, and um, I mean because the, the the shooting in the multiplayer mode acts the exact same way as in the single player mode. I mean, you can do down the sights to kind of get a first person view, but uh, 
it's still third person running around. Just uh, mo- most got- most people who play the game shoot from the hip, um, and uh, like there's the the thing that adds to this you know multiplayer mode is that it has all the uncharted traversal stuff, so you can get up high and there's a lot of a lot of verticality right. to the multiplayer arenas. Um, Thanks, Garnett. <laughs> and uh, oh, I didn't realize we had to be done by two, so. I'm gonna hurry this the fuck up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so uh, the multiplayer is fun for like for for when you're in uncharted mood, but it's not. I don't think it's gonna be anything long lasting. Uh, they have the persistent ranking system. They you know they did the kind of you know modern warfare thing where you get these persistent ranks and you can buy uh, perks. Only in this game, they're calling them boosters. <laughs> um, mm. So like uh, like it's it's fun, but once something else comes out, it's it's not anything I'm going to go back to. Like, once Modern Warfare 2 is out and I'm playing that, I'm not really going to go back and play Uncharted 2's multiplayer. So, it's adequate and fun, but nothing super special in my opinion. Uh, so, that's it for Un- Uncharted 2. And let us move on to whatever Austin wants to move on to, because I guess I'm done with all my topics except for one other thing. But we'll see if we have time for that. And just real quick to finish what I've been playing, I've also been playing another game, but I'm not going to talk about it too much. But do you guys know that uh, Shin Megami Tensei has an online game called Imagine? Oh, no, I did not. Uh, oh, is that the thing that John Davison was talking about? It's a, yeah, it's a free MMO. It's definitely, it's not exactly Persona. It, it, it's like the Persona games, but I think it's... Uh, I think it takes a lot more from the Shin Megami Tensei like, like universe or whatever, because I think that covers more than just Persona. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Persona, Nocturne, Digital Devil Saga. Right. Devil um, Summoner. So like, because I mean, I'm noticing a lot of things in there that like I I've never played a Persona game. I've only ever watched Giant Bomb's you know endurance run of Persona Four, but I feel like I know Persona now. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm definitely noticing things in there that seem like just like, like extended stuff from just like not just specifically from Persona. But I'll I'll go more in depth into it when I once I've played it more. But it is a free to play online MMO uh, from Area Games. They do a lot of free to play MMOs. Um, they're I think they're a Korean company or whatever. So you know those cool. those Korean MMOs. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, I'll go more in depth in that. But um, just just wanted to mention that that that's on deck for me to be playing, so you you guys should play it too. <laughs> I wills. I would also barf in the chat room like I have been. Barf. barf. What are we what are we segueing to? Nothing, bitch. Um no, uh we'll take a short break and then take care of this mailbag right quick. We'll be right back in now. No. to the mailbag. This, this is going to be a quick one because uh, we have talked about the subject quite a bit, but uh, we're always happy when people write in. So uh, this message is from StuntmanHY. He says, I've been listening to the Try Games podcast for a long while. Not sure if you've been asked this before, but I was wondering what your thoughts are, what your views are on video games becoming digital. With the release of the PSP Go, it's clear that the game industry is taking a huge step in that direction. It seems likely that it won't be long before all game releases are digital and discs become a thing of the past. 
Personally, I dislike this idea simply because I like to have a visible and tangible video game collection, but at the same time, from a business and evolutionary standpoint, I believe that digital downloads is probably the best way to go. What are your views on this? Uh, again, we have covered this, but you know, not everyone has listened for forever, so Pete, since you're the reigning digital download champ, go! I just talked for a long time, so I'm going to make my viewpoint very concise. I want a digital future. I'm tired of physical media, and... I'll be happy when everything goes digital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Al? I would much rather have a tangible collection over digital because of certain things like storage space and bandwidth and internet speeds. Uh, I don't think that it is a f- near future for the games industry to go digital. Because of the disparity in internet connection speeds uh, all over the world, but for America in particular, it, there is a disparity as well. And also in light of uh, ISPs trying to cap. give you bandwidth caps and make you charge, or make you charge, charge you for um, bandwidth, you know, doing things like downloading movies. Imagine, you know, like. Microsoft's trying to do the 1080p streaming with their next oh, update. Right, right. Uh, you know, a movie in 1080p is going to be about two gigs. So, and that's with compression, of course. Right. That's already going to be a threat toward people who have bandwidth caps. I mean, they're not really going to. It's, it's going to be a big decision. I was reading actually um, forum like comments and things like that. People just discussing back and forth about this subject and how. Even something as simple as renting a movie that's going to be streaming onto your Xbox is going to be a major decision for some people and not just a uh, something that they want to do on the whim. And I think that sucks. And also I think that sucks that if you were to move toward a digital future with games and movies of the sort, you can purchase content, but A, you're not really 100% sure whether you own it or not because the company can just renege your rights on the uh on the the content mm-hmm. and or if something weird happens where your you know your console breaks down and you get a new console you may get into an issue where you're not able to access the content that you paid for right without a hassle whereas if you you know you buy a dvd or blu-ray and your dvd drive blu-ray drive breaks you buy a new one your disc is still going to work right uh so there are a lot of issues with digital i like it for certain things, like I like Steam. Steam is awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's mainly because PC games have never really been something that I personally collect. Like, I do have some PC game boxes and things like that. And <clears throat> the CDs I do have, but it's not like console games where you can, they all uniform and you can maintain a collection that looks uniform that you can store and continue to use as time goes on also with pcs as pcs improve in their technology and their performance older games start to become incompatible and as operating systems evolve things that were made for specific operating systems in the past don't work for operating systems in the future and that's where steam really comes into play because it allows you to play games that you used to play on systems that by the previous standards would have not been compatible with the previous game So it, it's a big mix, but I, I think that we probably have another like ten, fifteen years, depending on how technology moves, before we could really see discs go away. And I don't even think discs are going to go away then either. They'll just be 
on the uh, the the lower half of the margin right. or the lower portion. Um, and, and again, I have said this in the past, but I think that we need to have the option. People who want digital downloads should be able to get them in digital download form. People who still want discs should be allowed that option. Um, Ethan, a long time ago on, uh, on the podcast, mentioned that it's, he believes it's a cultural thing that will go away as time progresses. Uh, maybe that is the case. Uh, however, uh, I still don't feel as, as confident and as comfortable um, with the digital content that I own as I do with the physical mediums, the physical content that I own, simply because I have it and it's there. Like, I think that the mm -hmm. Patapon voucher thing is complete shit. They're, they're, they think that as long as we have a box, we feel like we own it. No. I want to have the actual Yeah, it's not good thing. enough. Like, I'd go so far as to say that if you give me a choice between getting a box, well, uh, that's not even a choice. That's, that's a ridiculous choice. Obviously, I'd, I'd go for the actual disc. But it's like, even if, even if I get used shit, you know, that's, that they don't even have the box, they just have the disc or the DS card or whatever, like, I still feel more comfortable in that little disc than I do, like, with a, a, a download voucher with a big fancy box and instruction manual or with, like, a digital download or, or a code, code, right? You know, I, I, I have it. And the idea, it's because the, the control is in our hands. And they're slowly taking that away by, you know, well, they've taken that away on PCs with, you know, trying to, trying to make you, you know, stay logged in or, 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 like, with, you know, the Bioshock codes where you have to activate the game. Um, right. And, and, and not, that's not to say that um, I'm actually saying here that that's part of the digitizing of the games because, I mean, you, you can't do that without, you know, electronically checking things. And that, to me, is also part of digitizing. Because right. um, I know some people are going to argue, yeah, see, you could buy a disc and you'll have it, but you still won't have control. Well, what I'm saying is that people are using digital methods to take, take that control away from you even when you have the disc. Like, so that's why I prefer a physical medium. However, there is an elegance to digital, you know, completely digital distribution that I think, um, let's, let's, see, let's, not, let's forget about Steam, and let's think about the PSP Go, which he mentions here, or the iPhone, okay, mm -hmm. or the iPod Touch. Uh, PSP Go may be overpriced, it may be whatever, but the one singular bright idea about it is in its competition with the iPhone, okay? You, you talk about a, a person who likes to play, like, the, the bigger video games out there, <clears throat> um, and and I know that I had issues with it and it not being able to convert UMDs, but like at at the very least, for the sake of argument, being able to carry one device with you, and have like Disgaea, Disgaea Two, Prinny, God of War, Soul Calibur, Broken Destiny, all that shit on your machine without having to trade anything in and out, without having uh, when I say I, I should say swap, without having to swap any discs in and out on that one unit. That's an incredibly elegant solution. You know, it's not a new solution, but I'm just saying that it's, it, it, you know, it's such, it's such a good thing that, you know, it, mm -hmm. that I do think that um, it's best for digital downloads to reach a plateau where it becomes the standard while we still have the option to use discs if we so choose, you know? And ideally for me... I mean, I know that I'm running out of physical space in my room, but I would still rather have a perfect world where I can have my game in my box, take it out, install it to my portable device or my console or whatever, like we can with Xbox uh, 360. Do you have to put the disc in, though? You do, right? 
Yeah. To actually play the game if after? If you install something, I have no yes. Idea. Yeah. You know? Okay. See, that that's the one thing, and I understand why we still have to do that. It's for piracy concerns. I don't begrudge them for that, but in a perfect world for me, I'd be able to have the disc, like I do with the, the PC, have the disc, install it, and then never have to see that disc again, but know that I have that disc if I ever need it. Same thing with a D. Right. Yeah. Just in case you get another computer sure. and you have trouble migrating, or if you need space and you delete exactly. it, you want to put it back on um, later. Uh, imagine a DS where all my games could be on there, you know, and not not DSiWare. I mean, games like that. That's the one thing that I like about the PSP more is that like I can get real. I'm not trying to downplay DSiWare, but I can get games off the PSN and not just like PSP Mini by Tetris is. Uh. So like yeah. that would be a perfect world for me. Um, where we're fully digitized, but we still have our physical medium for those who still need it and those who feel comfortable with it. Yeah, I'd um, like to amend my stance real quick. Sure. I just want to say, like, I don't want people thinking, like, I am hating on people who want physical media or anything, because, like, I don't necessarily want physical media to go away. Like you, like you said, uh, people should have choice. I just, I personally want digital to be more accepted in so much that it, like, that brick-and-mortar stores and stuff can't, like, forcibly cause digital media to be more expensive or so to speak like like oh yeah yeah i want it to be a clear-cut option like if i want digital media i'm not being you know i'm not getting a worse deal because i want it digital so that that was kind of my stance i'm ready for the digital future to be as widely accepted as the physical media um just to make the point real quick because i was just i was mentioning to austin which probably uh what before which probably will be cut out because it was during our segue or our, our break but uh that I was going to buy GTA 4 on the um, 360, but it's $10 more than what they charge in the store. So why would I do that? Mm, like, right. it, it's I wanted to mention something about that, too. That digital distribution needs to be cheaper than going the physical route because, A, it is cheaper for the uh, business to... I think that it's cheaper for the business to actually provide the software as distribution fees should be diminished or gone. And it should be an incentive to to purchase digitally to get it cheaper as opposed to saying, well, it's $10 more than it's in the store. Let me just go to the store, even though technically you'd probably be spending like half of that $10 discount in gas or whatever or transportation fees. I, I don't care. I, I don't see it like that because I'd be driving somewhere anyway. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I, I totally agree with that. I, I feel like... A lot of people uh, don't yet fully understand why it is that a digital download costs the same as a retail because they figure you don't have the box, you don't have the shit, and they don't they don't really take a look at the server and the bandwidth and all that stuff, all those costs. And a lot a lot of it really is. And when I say people don't understand, I, I'm not c criticizing them. I'm saying that it's a very nebulous thing that is not entirely exposed. But it's you know obviously in any market you know you're going to have m different players that have different priorities and different needs. And different ambitions, and so you know the retailers are not letting that go. The retailers are are are, are forcing the hand of you know of of the publishers in such a way that we can't see the benefits of it. Like I, I think they should be cheaper, but I know they're not going to be simply because of that relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it, it's a, it's it's funny because I look at you know I look at the ninety nine cent songs on iTunes, and then I think about the fact that some CDs cost nineteen dollars in the store. And iTunes isn't really getting that much shit, right? They, they're like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You know, we, we, we're we going to sell what we sell. Right. They, I, I guess it's because they have better, they have 
I, I guess it's because the record industry is is more powerful in this sense than the retail than the retailers are. Right, because the record industry is actually they're the ones that get the money in the end, where the retailers don't really get that much money from the record sales, unless it's a, a lot of record sales. But it's really the record companies that are the ones that need the relationship with a digital distribution as opposed to, say, you know, a game publisher uh, in their relationship with retailers. Right. But I feel like I feel like in, in the gaming industry, the retailers kind of hold more power than do than does a, does a publishing end, you know? Right. I do agree. And so, I like, think that's the opposite way with, with music. music. Yeah. That's what it's seen like. So. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad we answered this question because we got some different ideas out of it than we had last time. Um, there is one quick thing that Al wanted to put out, put out there that's kind of amusing to me. Let's blast it. Freaking civilization on Facebook. Civilization. Cradle of civilization on Facebook. Like, Sid Meier's Civilization. So it's on Civilization Facebook. One, right? The original. I don't know. It's called Civilization Network. It's a, a I guess it's a new development, kind of like. I, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but according Is it be to like that this Mob Wars article, games that everyone plays. Yeah, it says uh. Civilization Network uh, is will allow you and your friends to band together to create the most powerful, wealthy, or most intelligent civilization. Think Mafia Wars only with shifty Romans instead of shifty Italians, which is a stupid, stupid, snarky, bloggy joke because <laughs> Rome is in Italy. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyhow. Hi, we're bloggers. That's what we do. What I want to hope is that it's actually civilization, like more civ than, than a Facebook game like mafia wars <clears throat> because then that will make it a lot more um unique and a lot more of a an incentive to actually play that game because if it's just like one of those super point and click oh uh, i'm gonna go and do this thing to raise this level and do this thing to raise this level or oh, i have to get or oh, i have to start friending people who i don't know on facebook just so i can get ahead in this game right eh, it's not gonna be right. yeah i'm not gonna play it then Ugh. <laughs> See, I thought it, I thought this was gonna parlay into like the whole, cause cause there's some games that use Flash on Facebook that are like much more intricate than just like you know something like Mob Wars or whatever. And mm-hmm. I thought that this, that that they had finally done the Quake Three Live thing and said, "Fuck it, we're gonna put Civ on Facebook, and we're gonna have maps, and we're gonna let you civilize with each other, and cultureify with each other, <laughs> and wonderify each other on Facebook with graphics in Flash." And that's it's just kind of sad that it's gonna be like Marvel. I mean, I don't know. Well, it could still yeah. be. I hope so, cause not not for Facebook's sake, but for the browser games' sake. Cause like I've I've already been kind of I haven't played the the Quake Three browser game, but like I I really wanted to see how it worked. And like this is this this actually should make you excited because it goes further into your you know nebulous platform one platform future. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where where it's like you don't need to have hardware. You can just I could play it in a browser. Yeah. I could, you know, I could take down King Tut with my Abraham Lincoln with turn-based <laughs> things on Facebook. Yeah. And stuff. Word. Okay. No, that was interesting. Um, I think we've uh, horsed this beat, this dead beat horse, beat dead horse. Pretty Al, much. where can we find your hair on the internet? XLM2K.blogspot.com, maybe. Leave comments. Yes. Pete, where is your face on the internet? You can find me on Facebook.com slash Riven. That's R-Y-V-V-N. And apparently... Play, play in Civilization with him. Maybe. I was gonna, you messed up my, my, my little thing. 
Yeah. I was, was going to say, you can find me on Facebook, and apparently you can find Uncharted Motion Comic on the PSN. Oh, shit. Wow. That's yeah, I just cool. saw that on 1UP. So there's apparently an Uncharted Motion Comic. Uh, it's going to be a series on PSN. First one's free. Uh, subsequent ones you'll have to pay for, but might want to check that out if you're in Uncharted. That's it for me. Yay! As in, I'm done. com. That's what it is. Yeah, he's a doctor and a fish. Um, GameSpot.com slash Undead Nights Review 5.5 Mediocre Game Don't Buy It dot com <laughs> Don't Buy It <laughs> 5.5 means Don't Buy It 5.5 means Don't Buy It 5.5 means if you have a rainy week and you want to rent the shit out of some zombies you can rent the shit out of some zombies but don't buy the shit <laughs> I mean I-, I will say that Warriors Orochi and Dynasty Warriors don't got zombies like this game do which is why I scored it higher than they scored the Orochi games but still don't buy it like, steal a friend's... P- don't steal. Uh, borrow a friend's <laughs> PSP and just don't give it back and play it, but don't buy it. Um, yes, all right. So for Al... Bye, all For Riven, Pete, slash, Petoria, slash, Petonia, Stanconia. www.sharkversusdrake.com. That's not even a website, but yeah. Oh, that's right. Go to sharkversusoctopus.com. The verses is spelled out. Uh, yes. So, yeah. I have been your host, Mr. Chupon slash Austin, and I'm gone. Oh, my God. This is so good. It's a 10. Oh, let me put this up here. It's a 10.1.